one of the things that they've noticed with the COVID patients is what we call the silent hypoxemia. Hello, I'm Rachel Deer, host of today's program, COVID-19, Keeping Up with the Moving Target. This is the October 30th update of DKB Med Radio's Coronavirus Educational Series. Thank you for joining us. This activity is jointly provided by the Postgraduate Institute for Medicine, DKB Med, and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. Today's program is accredited for ANCC and AAPA credit, as well as AMA PRA Category 1 credits. Please visit our website for complete CE information. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the red Claim Credit button in the webinar console to attest for credit. Otherwise, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. There, you will also find our previous COVID-19 programs and have access to other free CE programs on a wide range of topics. The slides for today's webinar can be found in the resource list window. Today's learning objective is discuss intubation and vent management in the COVID-19 patient population. This activity is supported by an educational grant from Pfizer and in kind by DKB Med. All activity content and materials have been developed solely by the activity directors, planning committee members, and faculty presenters. With us today, we have Erin Berry, a nurse clinician at Johns Hopkins. She'll be presenting on the management of critically ill COVID patients. Erin, thanks for your time. Hi, thank you for having me. It's great to be back with you guys again today. I'm Erin, I work for Johns Hopkins. I'm a Lifeline a critical care transport nurse. And today we're gonna to talk about the critically ill COVID patient. For those that have been kind of in the thick of it, like this should be a pretty familiar picture to you. Prone, lots of drips, um, and then you've got your person back there in the PPE, which is really um, part of the big change is the infection control and the PPE. A lot of the things that I'm going to talk about today are things that we've been doing for critically ill patients for ages, but um, just kind of how we've had to tweak them for the COVID patient based on both like pathophysiology and infection control. And as I was putting this presentation together, it kind of starts to cover basically what I would consider the ABCs of critical ill management, but also for the COVID patient. So the things that ICU nurses and intensivists and all of us are really good at, um, air, airway, breathing, and circulation, just your, your super basics, but kind of how they have changed with the COVID patient. So obviously airways first. So intubating the COVID patient has been a big concern for people. These patients have required intubation and ventilation. And there's definitely concerns regarding the spread of the disease. So firstly, you have to stop and think, so when do I intubate? When do I not intubate? And some of these, I call them like the no-brainers. If your patient is in cardiopulmonary arrest, you're going to intubate them. If you don't have a secure airway, you're going to intubate them. And then also there's this added one of these surgical emergencies. So you're taking someone to the OR for a surgical emergency. So they may have some other diagnoses, but also COVID on top of that. And so now you have to intubate this patient. But then there's 
this gray area of when I think it, it applies both to the critically ill patient and to the critically ill COVID patient, but what is your, what's your cutoff for intubation? And there, there's really not like a good answer. One of the things that they've noticed with the COVID patients is what we call the silent hypoxemia, or what I like to call it as the happy hypoxic. These patients are mentating and doing what we want them to do with lower oxygen levels than what we're, we're usually used to seeing. So what's, what's that cutoff point? One of the things you really have to look at is what's the, the progression of the illness for the patient and kind of like how they've done over time. So have you put this patient on high flow nasal cannula and they're still like not improving? Have they tried self-proning and they're still not improving? Have you had to put them on BiPAP and they're still not improving? It requires like a very a careful assessment of what's going on with the patient and anticipating their needs. And you obviously, because this is a little bit more complicated because of infection control, you have to weigh um, emergent versus planned. Like, do you intervene sooner? Do you um, kind of wait and see how they do? Obviously, for the COVID patient, the more you can plan ahead, the better it's going to be because of all the infection control risks and things that you need to have in place to do it as safely as possible. So you're going to try and very carefully look at the patient looking at their oxygen requirements and how they're doing and try to prevent that emergent intubation where everything just gets a little bit chaotic and disorganized, which can lead to possibly infecting someone with COVID from the, the patient they're taking care of who and how, like, how are you going to intubate this patient and who's going to do it? Because it's a little bit higher risk because of infection control, this really isn't the, the time for newly learning people to intubate. Like you've got your fellows and your residents and people that are, they're learning that are competent, but are still not maybe like your most senior person. So you want to try and have the person with your most experience intubating these patients and looking at things you can do to uh, what we call maximize first pass success. So um, a lot of people are going with the video laryngoscopy over direct laryngoscopy, which offers like a couple benefits. So A, you're not as close to the patient. So like you can, for people that have seen the, the video before, you've got like a nice little screen and you can kind of stay a little bit further away from the patient to look at the airway and see what you're doing. But it also allows other people in the room to be able to see what you're seeing, which is helpful because someone could might see something that you might miss. So you're you're going to want to get anesthesia to come to the bedside, um, and they're they're probably going to use um, video laryngoscopy because it's going to improve their first pass success. Because intubation is considered an aerosol generating procedure, it there's a lot of infection control considerations that you have to take into account when you're intubating these patients. So. If at all possible, you want to try to have these patients in a negative pressure room or at least a dedicated room, doors closed to try to minimize the aerosols that are being sent out for the staff and out into the hallways. Also, you want to try to limit the number of staff. You don't need everybody in the unit in the room because now you're just exposing every single person that's in that room to possibly being exposed to COVID. But you also want to make sure you have enough people. So you you want to make sure you have the person who's going to be doing the intubating and a couple people to help out and probably RT. But I know a lot of times, especially in the ICU and the ER, when these patients require intubation, you want to have as many people as you can and you want to try to limit the number to a, a safe number of staff. And then some engineering controls. So inline suction, which most 
hospitals and most people are doing for intubated patients because once you have to pop them off and you're not doing that inline suction, now you're you're kind of spreading the COVID particles everywhere. So the inline suction is super important. And then if you look at that picture over there, you see these boxes and you've probably seen these. I've seen them a lot in ERs at some hospitals. There's not a lot of evidence to support its use that it actually decreases the risk of infection, but it's something that's definitely come out, but there's not a lot of data to support it right now. And then PPE, um, very important. Like everyone in the room needs to be completely geared up for an aerosol generating procedure. So you're gonna have your N95, you're gonna have, or a respirator or a papper. You're gonna have a gown on, you're gonna wanna have eye protection. Um, if possible, the person doing the intubation is you wanna have at least what we've been doing at Hopkins is having the full shroud to like cover everything and keep everyone as safe as possible. So now that you've got the patient intubated, now you have to manage them on the ventilator. Lung protective ventilation, not a new topic. It's something that we've been doing for ARDS patients for a really long time. This is a, like a lower tidal volume, higher respiratory rate way to ventilate the patient. So typically you're going to do six to eight mLs per kg. That's going to be your tidal volume. So you'll set your tidal volume and then you're probably going to need a little bit higher of a respiratory rate because you're going to try to match. Um, you're going to try to get them the good vent ventilation. So it's very patient dependent. And uh, something that's come out of some of the literature and some case studies and things is they've broken down the COVID patient into these two general phenotypes, the L phenotype and the H phenotype. There's obviously like a huge broad spectrum in between, but it just kind of describes some of the pathophysiology and how their lungs are acting. So if you look at the L phenotype, so say you do a chest CT and you've got an L phenotype patient, you're going to see those scattered ground glass opacities that are typical with ARDS, especially in the COVID ARDS. And it's going to be like the interstitial edema. So the L phenotype comes from the low elastins. So what low elastins means is these are highly compliant lungs. So you don't need a bunch of PEEP to ventilate these patients. They don't have the atelectasis. They don't have all that fluid. So when you're putting these patients on a higher PEEP, you're actually doing lung injury and hurting them as opposed to the H phenotype patients. And these patients are the high elastins or the low compliance patients, which is kind of what people think of when they typically think of an ARDS patient. If you do a chest CT on this patient, you've got tons of consolidations. Their lungs just look awful. They don't have those compliant lungs. They've got what some people call like the baby lungs, like the ARDS lungs. So these patients are able to take like the higher PEEP and you're trying to open up those areas of consolidation and open up those areas where you've got atelectasis. So low compliant, you usually need like a higher PEEP. And a couple of numbers, like your plateau pressures and your driving pressures, we've all kind of had to become a little bit more educated on vent management, at least I have learning tons more about how how do you manage the vent? How do you take care of these ARDS patients? So when you're doing a lung protective ventilation, what you're trying to do is you want your plateau pressures less than 30 and you want your driving pressures less than 15. And driving pressures, for those that aren't used to that number, is your plateau pressure minus your PEEP. And this is just to kind of pre prevent the barrow trauma to the lungs that we see with higher pressures. So things you can do to minimize your plateau pressures is dropping your tidal volume. I've seen some people go even as low as four mLs per kg just to try to get that tidal volume lower, but then you're going to have to raise your, your respiratory rate in response to that. 
So those are just two other numbers that you want to be looking at for lung protective ventilation for these patients. So then there's the question, um, well, what mode works for these patients? What's our best mode to do? You've got volume control, you've got pressure control, you've got APRB. It's very patient dependent and it's institutional dependent, but you're trying to accomplish the same things. You want these low tidal volumes, giving them the pressure that they need. So if you are doing, say, a pressure control mode of ventilation, you just really want to watch what your tidal volumes are because when you're in pressure control, you're setting your pressures as opposed to your volumes and you want to make sure that you're not giving them too much volume. And then um, APRV, it requires a little bit more training and education and thinking if it's not something that you're used to. It's uh, something that you could maybe not get quite right. And the one important thing to remember with your APRV ventilations is it's really more of an oxygen improver. It's going to correct hypoxemia. If you have a hypercapnic patient, which we've definitely seen in these COVID patients, you sometimes you've got this mixed hypoxia with hypercapnia. Um, your APRV is not really going to help your hypercapnic patient. And then, so say you've got this type H phenotype where they're not compliant, you're trying to keep recruitment. There's definite recommendations that recruitment maneuvers can help. So you're doing an inspiratory hold on these patients at higher pressures over a certain period of time to try and pop open those alveoli that have become atelectasis or consolidated. And then an important thing for maintaining recruitment once you get it is every time you're popping that circuit, you're losing all that pressure that's built up. So we've worked really hard, and I know most, most facilities have, is remembering to clamp that tube, especially in inspiration, because it's going to help maintain that long opening, and you're not going to lose all that recruitment. So say you're, you're changing something in the line or you're moving to a transport vent, remembering to clamp that tube is going to help them maintain recruitment. Uh, another management strategy would be prone positioning. This really helps with the hypoxic patients that are seeing a lot of VQ mismatch. I won't go too deep into it because there's a couple of really good presentations that have been done here before on prone positioning. So if you're super interested in that, you can go back and look at those. But it's, it's another tool in your toolbox to help ventilate these patients. And then just infection control considerations. Like we mentioned with the engineering controls, you always wanna try and do your inline suction um, for a couple of reasons. At, when you pop them off, obviously you're losing your recruitment like we spoke about earlier, but now you've also, you've sprayed little COVID molecules everywhere when you're popping them off the circuit. So using that inline circuit. Also, in addition to helping maintain recruitment when you're when you're popping them off the circuit, when you're clamping it, you're keeping the COVID particles from, from spreading. So clamping does a couple purposes. So that's a couple of things to think about for infection control considerations. Also, what kind of um, filters you need to use on your vent. So you want to use uh, viral filters and RT is going to be great at getting that set up for you, but you want to make sure you have filters on your vent for these patients. Erin, thank you, and we'll move on to the Q&A portion. So are non-invasive ventilation strategies like CPAP, BiPAP, or high-flow nasal cannula safe for use in this population with the possibility of aerosol generation? So they are absolutely safe. The high-flow nasal cannula, there's not a whole lot of literature that supports that it is an aerosol generating procedure. Your BiPAP and your CPAP absolutely can be an aerosol generating procedure, but you, if you wear the appropriate PPE, then you're going to stay safe. The important thing is giving the patient what they need 
but also when you're doing your CPAP and your BiPAP and your high flow for these patients, monitoring them super closely to make sure that if they do progress to the point where they need intubation, you're catching it and not relying on CPAP and BiPAP or high flow nasal cannula to treat things that it can't treat. But there are definitely good options, um, especially the high flow nasal cannula and self-proning. There's been um, a lot of really good response to that. And then the BiPAP and the CPAP, that's able to help with your hypercarbic patients in addition to your hypoxia, that your high flow nasal cannula is really just going to help with your hypoxia. Thank you, Erin, for that useful information. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the red claim credit button in the webinar console to assess for credit. Otherwise, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. You'll receive your certificate immediately after. Any questions or issues, feel free to email us at the address listed. To submit questions, please send them to qa at dkbmed.com. That's Q is in question, A is in answer at dkbmed.com. Again, thanks for joining us and thank you for your dedication to your patients with COVID-19.